Friends, our second reading comes from the letter to the Romans. Listen now for God's word to us all. Likewise, the Spirit helps us in our weakness, for we do not know how to pray as we ought, but the very Spirit intercedes with sighs too deep for words. And God, who searches the heart, knows what is in the mind of the Spirit, because the Spirit intercedes for the saints according to the will of God. We know that all things work together for good, for those who love God, who are called according to God's purpose. For those whom God foreknew, God also predestined to be conformed to the image of God's Son, in order that he may be the firstborn with a large family. And those whom he predestined, he also called. And those whom he called, he also justified. And those whom he justified, he also glorified. What then are we to say about these things? If God is for us, who is against us? He who did not withhold his own son, but gave him for all of us. Will God not with him also give us everything else? Who will bring any charge against God's elect? It is God who justifies. Who is to condemn? It is Christ Jesus who died, yes, who was raised, who is at the right hand of God who indeed intercedes for us. Who will separate us from the love of Christ? Will hardship or distress or persecution or famine or nakedness or peril or sword? As it is written, for your sake we are being killed all day long. We are accounted as sheep to be slaughtered. Now in all these things, we are more than conquerors through him who loved us. For I am convinced that neither death, nor life, nor angels, nor rulers, nor things present, nor things to come, nor powers, nor height, nor depth, nor anything else in all creation will be able to separate us from the love of God in Christ Jesus our Lord. This is the word of the Lord. Thanks be to God. Friends, please pray with me. Holy One, you are our rock and our redeemer our sibling, guide, and friend. Speak to us through these words, through these meditations of my heart and the meditations of all of our hearts gathered here this day, that we may be and become for you the people you have dreamed of since before you laid the foundations of the earth. Amen. In my 20s, I had this deep sense of unease, of feeling a little bit useless. I spent a lot of time in my 20s wandering about, doing all sorts of different things. Looking back, I can recognize that I was privileged enough to be one of the first generations to get to experience something that we now know as extended adolescence. <laughs> oh, joy. <laughs> Due to our longer life expectancies and a mix of cultural and economic forces, now for folks between the ages of 18 and around 30, millennials and Gen Z are experiencing a new developmental stage with many of the markers of adulthood being pushed back, like getting our driver's license, purchasing a home, finding a life partner, or getting married. 
and more and more people are having times for personal exploration and discovery. We've got a better sense of this phenomenon now, and expectations are shifting in our culture, but when I was in my mid-twenties, I felt kind of useless and out of place. I was frustrated by the Great Recession and underemployment. After graduating from college, I had a short stint working at a Hollywood video, a video store. <clears throat> if that doesn't make you feel useless in the age of Netflix, I don't know how that does. It was a time of being underemployed and of living with friends, all of us going on to grad school and different adventures in the future, but stuck in this moment. I worked at a video store and I got free rentals. Two of my friends worked at a pizza place, so at least there was food. <laughs> but it was an odd time. Eventually, I got fed up with this sense of feeling listless and useless, and so I decided to set my sights on volunteering abroad with the Iona community at their outdoor center called Camas that we returned from a few weeks ago. It was a place that stretched me in a lot of ways. There was much to do. There was no feeling useless, but there was so much that was new. So many skills in the outdoors that I didn't have. So many ways of working at youth that had experienced intense trauma and the effects of poverty that overwhelmed what I knew. There was cooking and gardening and maintenance and all of that felt beyond me. I wasn't sure a lot of the time what I brought to the community and felt a little bit like an imposter. But then I decided to head off to seminary, and that was not helpful either, <laughs> that sense of feeling useless. I found myself drawn to pastoral care and preaching and adaptive leadership, but when I started to get to practice these new arts, new ways of walking with people towards God's dreams for us, I felt self-conscious about just how little I knew how little experience I had in what I was doing. So at one point I decided to run away again, run away to a summer internship working as a farm volunteer. I worked at a organic farm that trained people from the global south in ways to be able to feed their communities and empower women and girls to create a way of life that was not dependent on the price of artificial fertilizers, but that restored the land and lived in harmony with the world. And I came back from that summer and discovered just how bad I was at keeping seeds alive in my seminary dorm windowsill. Every time the plants would die, I felt this sense of being lost. I tried to bring something back, and it just didn't work. The biblical narrative is full of people who aren't so sure what their role is going to be in the midst of God's promises and transformation of the world. A review of the people of the Hebrew and Christian scriptures reveal lots of folks who are being told, you are a part of something gorgeous, something amazing and miraculous. But in the individual moments, 
Their journeys and their particular experiences often seem futile, too small, unimportant. Moses doesn't think he's up to the task of speaking in public. There are moments where he is in this tense place between the Hebrews and the Egyptian people. He gets overwhelmed trying to manage a group of folks who are really good at complaining. We've got King David, who switches between moments of beautiful poetry and some of the worst behavior. You have Esther, who has to be told, this is your moment. Jonah runs the other way, the absolute opposite way of what God has told him to do. And then when he succeeds in saving an entire city, all of them praising God and repenting, he is so fed up, he asks God, can you just let me die here? And then we get to the disciples. Without fail, over and over in scripture, people feel pretty useless. They feel like they don't have anything to offer. But when we zoom out, we see moments of incredible beauty, incredible moments. A woman who takes a jar of ointment and breaks it open and anoints Jesus, and people say, what a useless act, and Jesus lifts her up. We see people who gather a massive crowd of over 5,000 men and untold women and children, and there is a boy with some stinking fish and a morsel of bread. And yet it is enough. This morning we heard about Abram. <clears throat> he will be Abraham. You didn't hear it wrong. There's a little name change that goes on with him, but Abram is in his 70s, and he must be wondering if he is too old. And yet he packs everything up and heads out. And then we've got Paul writing to the Romans, people who are suffering and are dealing with violence and with oppression, who must be asking themselves, what are we doing wrong if it's this hard? But in both of these stories, <clears throat> God sees that who they are is more than enough. That the very journey or the moments where they feel like they are not enough is exactly where their strength lies. One of the greatest gifts of my life has been the experience of being mentored by people who could look at my life from 10,000 feet or across from their desk and see what I could not. When I was feeling lost and feeling like I didn't have anything to offer, I reached out to my mentor, Ken, and he sat me down and went over the different experiences I had in my 20s. And he said, you are perfectly useless for being a pastor. You have done all of these things. You have scattered your experiences across so many different things, and it might feel useless to you. 
but you are uniquely and overwhelmingly ready for what's going to come your way, especially because you don't think you've got it all figured out. You're not going to be the only one who feels that way in your ministry. Over time, I have come to embrace this idea of being perfectly useless. In seminary, one of my professors talked about how important it is for those who care for the people of God to always have time to sit down on a porch for a cup of tea or for a nice glass of iced tea to sit and talk and do something that in the ledgers of capitalism seems useless and yet is sometimes the very foundation of God's kingdom. There is something about those moments of doing dishes with a bunch of high schoolers that feels so heavy with the holy that it is beyond words. In her book, How to Do Nothing, Resisting the Attention Economy, Jenny O'Dell tells a wonderful Chinese story about a tree and a woodworker who walks up to the tree and says to it, what a useless tree, all gnarled and huge, but of no use to me. The tree isn't having it and shows up in his dream and says, who am I useless to? To you? Those trees that grow straight and tall and perfect and those fruit trees, those you ravage. I am old and large. I am very useful to the birds of the air and to those who rest in my shade. And what are you, useless human? You will be gone tomorrow and I will be here for generations. Useless and useful to who? There is something revolutionary when we engage in the work of renewal and restoring, of maintaining and transforming, of living lives that are sustainable and rooted for the long haul. And it can look and feel so useless until we look at ourselves or have people in our lives who see us with God's love and dreams and vision. There is a tension to be sure, because there are moments when we need to pack everything up and go, where everything needs to change, and we will feel fragmented and unprepared, but we know we need to journey and do something quickly. But there are so many more times in our lives where we need to set down roots, where we need to flourish in place. In ecology, there is this idea in emerging theologies that are coming from the ecological studies who think about who lives here. What is the history of this place? What flourishes? What are the relationships and the interconnectedness? And how are we invited to be good stewards of God's creation? When we look at the world in those ways, sometimes 
useless plants are no longer weeds because they feed the finches or they help the soil to absorb water during huge storms. When we look at who we live among and the interconnectedness of our lives, we can see that there is slow and important work to do that we can't do if we are always on the move. Sometimes it's going to take cups of tea and lots and lots of beautiful, sacred, useless times. Abram hears the call to get up and go, but what I love in this reading this morning is that he journeys in stages. He doesn't have a small group, it's actually pretty large, and he is going into a difficult and dangerous desert, the Negev. And so they journey in stages. I imagine many of us the last couple of days moved in stages as well in the heat, knowing where is the next place where I can stop for a drink of water or some cool air to be able to care for myself. And Abram knew how to do that for his community. He knew they couldn't go too fast or too far. There was growth and change, but also survival and tending. There is a way, friends, that we can move through this world and adapt to what is needed and be sustained. And in Paul's letter to the Romans, there is this call to a type of endurance, knowing that just because it may all at times feel useless, nothing can separate us from God's love. If only we will stop and look. Our time at Montreat at our high school conference was a special time away. In those rhythms of doing dishes, there were moments of singing together and of having fun and joy, but also building something. There were times where we needed to refill the fuel for our campfire or clean out the wicks from the olive oil lamps. There were small tasks like choosing a poem and a prayer for our devotions in the evening. And in all of it, there was joy of doing life together. It wasn't the big flashy things, although those were fun. It was these small moments of repair and renewal that bound us one to another. Something that we need, that our world needs. It's not always time to journey. Sometimes it is time to set down roots and make a slow impact. So wherever you are on the journey or in putting down roots, I invite you to offer yourself some grace and to look with grace at our neighbors because we are called to go and to stay, to do things that produce and things to, and to engage in tasks that seem perfectly and wonderfully useless. In the name of the one who was and is and evermore shall be. Amen.